Welcome to Love Notes from a Soul Coach, the podcast where we don't shy away from difficult topics. We dive deep and explore what it means to genuinely, authentically heal. Ready? Okay, let's jump into today's show. Hello, friends. It's Mary here. And that was the sound of me climbing into my car because it is so incredibly loud in every corner of my house that I decided I'm going to come out to my car and sit in my driveway and record today's podcast. (laughs) Because sometimes sitting in my car feels like climbing into like a, a spaceship. And it just feels utterly alone in a way that I really appreciate. So that's where I am. And um, I hope that you are all enjoying this incredibly beautiful start to the month of May. It's been spectacularly pretty here in New York. And when the weather is beautiful in the Northeast, it's all we talk about. Because Lord knows we don't often have beautiful weather. So um, it has just felt like a real gift. And I've also noticed that something feels like it's shifted on the other side of the eclipse that we had last week. Leading up to the eclipse, I know for me personally, and then so, so many people that I talk to, we're just really experiencing the intensity and, and that feeling of a buildup, strong moods, strong feelings. You know, the, it was like the pot was being stirred. And now on the other side this week, it's been feeling much more peaceful. So lots to be grateful for on that front. And for today's show, well, what I was thinking was I, I wanted to share this experience that I had um, when I went on my first Buddhist meditation retreat when I was in my mid-20s. It was a silent retreat. And at that time, I hadn't yet had children. So I think it was probably the scariest, hardest experience I had ever submitted myself to. Because I like words. You know, I like talking. I like language. I like communication. And the idea of being in silence for 10 days felt really like a very tall order for me. And yet at that time in my practice and in my life, it just felt like something I had to do. I really like I was ready for the challenge of it. So I left New York City and I drove out with a friend. I I hitched a ride with another friend who was going out in that direction. And I got dropped off at this Buddhist meditation center. And uh, yeah, it was it was something else. So something reminded me of it last week. And I thought that's, that's a story I want to share on the podcast for sure. And it's also a story that I wrote about in my book. So I thought rather than recount it, I will just read directly to you from my book. And when I was preparing for the show, I realized I don't know where my book is. (laughs) I've lost track of my own book. 
I have a bunch of copies actually, but um, there's one that I've I've sort of marked up and been living in since the book um, got published. And so I went hunting for it in my office and found it in the very tall tower of books that are in constant rotation because I am always reading like four or five books simultaneously in a very slow way. It's probably not efficient. I should probably just sit with one book at a time and, and read it cover to cover, but that's not how my life works. So I have this ever-evolving tower. And I found my book commingled with other books, which is always a trip, you know, to see that. Um, it's like, feel you feel like a guest at a very exclusive party when you see your your creation hanging out with all of these big names and these books that uh, have changed my life. So I found my book and I realized as I was leafing through getting ready to read to you that I really have not cracked open my book since, you know, the hustle leading up to publishing when it went through lots of different last minute edits. And, you know, by the time your book gets published, you have read it at least a dozen times. And it gets to the point where you just can't read it anymore where you just start you just start making changes that make no sense and you're you're so saturated that you're not you're not seeing it clearly anymore you're not reading it clearly and you just have to let go and let it enter the world and know that there's probably always going to be things that you would like to change um but it's like that moment in a in a like a cooking show where you just have to you're done put your knife down you know um yeah, but then I also thought about the fact that this is a pattern for me, and I don't know if you will relate to this or not, but I go full throttle with a project. I give it my whole heart, I give it all my attention, and then when it's complete or when it's, you know, as close to complete as any creative endeavor ever can be, it's like I'm done with it and it doesn't really exist for me anymore. And I started thinking about this because there's a kind of loss to living this way. You know, on the one hand, I think it's not good to dwell in the past. And it is important to have our eye on the next horizon line. And as human beings, that's that's what really what we're built for is like, what's the next thing and what's the next thing? But as all of us know, there's a fine line with that because sometimes you're so focused on what's next that you lose track, you lose appreciation for all of the things that you've already accomplished. You're always just on to the next thing. So fishing my book out of my precious tower of important books, seeing it commingling with some of the books I cherish most in the world, cracking it open and remembering what it was like, how much energy and effort it took to make this book happen and to put it out into the world. I had a feeling of real gratitude that I was able to stick with this and make it make it real. Um, yeah, and it was just a reminder of sometimes, you know, it's not good to dwell in the past, but sometimes we do need to turn around, look over our shoulders and appreciate 
all the things that we've lived through, all the things that we've survived, all the things that we've cultivated, all the things we've manifested and worked hard on and realized. And to do that is to, um, it's to fortify yourself. It, that's actually where our energy and our, our passion comes from for the next thing. So the next thing in our lives is always connected to the thing that came before. So maybe if you're hearing this right now, take some time in your life over the next few days to reflect back on things that you've been able to pull off that you're proud of and just take a moment to marinate with that and to appreciate yourself because it matters. That self-appreciation, it, it really matters. So just wanted to share that. And now I'm going to read to you from my book, Love Notes from a Soul Coach. Teachings of a Jackhammer After years of resisting forgiveness work, I was shocked to hear my intuition call out to me during my meditation practice one morning. Bow to your ex-husband. He was a powerful teacher for you. I felt my chest seize up in resistance as soon as the thought hit my consciousness. I'm not bowing to him, I thought. No way. The agony and dysfunction of our divorce was still too raw for me. But later that day, a powerful teaching resurfaced on my path as I stood at a corner on the street where some construction was going on. I heard the jackhammer and suddenly remembered my first silent retreat at a Buddhist meditation center more than 20 years ago, tucked deep in the woods of a tiny, quiet New England town. I'd spent the months ahead of the retreat gathering supplies and trying to prepare for every possible circumstance that might arise in total spiritual control freak mode. By the time I arrived at the center with my ridiculously large suitcase, I was ready. I'd packed my own Zafu cushion in case the ones at the center were uncomfortable. I'd packed a thick blanket in case the weather turned colder and a lightweight one in case it got hot in the main room where we'd be spending most of our time. I'd brought my own selection of tees, my favorite slippers, three different versions of the same stretch pants, running shoes, a hoodie, silk pajama bottoms, a toiletry bag, a yoga mat, and a back roller. So much for traveling light and monk-like. On the very first day, as our teacher took his seat at the head of the large room, a jackhammer started drilling into the parking lot outside one of the open windows. This has to be a joke, I thought. Someone will go tell them to stop. I mean, we're in a silent retreat for crying out loud. Instead, our teacher started laughing. Oh boy, he said. This is what happens when you ask to understand silence more deeply. You get its very opposite, so you can appreciate it wholeheartedly. We all shared a chuckle. Okay, cute, I thought. But I still expected our teacher to signal one of the aides to go tell the workers to stop. He didn't. Instead, he began our first communal sit 
by centering the meditation around the jackhammer, asking us to notice the difference between its sound and the absence of its sound. He asked us to notice the feelings arising in our bodies, agitation, frustration, distraction, rage. Notice the feelings, identify them. Where do you feel them in the body? Are they static or are they moving? Lessening, intensifying? Are they flitting from one part of the body to another or lingering in one clear spot? When the jackhammer would start up, every part of me would clench and bear down. It was outrageous and unacceptable to me. How could our teacher let this go on? This wasn't a meditation sitting. It was a blooper reel. It was torture. I kept waiting for someone to make it stop. Feelings of waiting, holding, gripping, hating, 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 resenting, helplessness, and anger swirled in me like a cyclone of trash on an empty beach. I can't take it. I'm going to get up. This was the mantra playing on repeat in my head during that sitting but I didn't get up. I didn't yet understand the difference between the ego and the soul. I thought there was only one solid me, so I didn't recognize that it was my ego flailing and losing its mind while my soul kept my butt firmly planted on my Zafu cushion, knowing how dearly I needed to go through this very experience. This is certainly a challenging way to begin our time together, I heard our meditation teacher say. Upon his acknowledgement, a part of me softened and released. I realized this sit was just a tiny sliver of the bigger pie. This feeling of, I do not accept this, was playing out in my life all over the place. I just wasn't conscious of it. I wasn't aware that I was bracing against reality instead of yielding and making peace with it exactly as as it was. Maya Angelou said, if you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. I had shelves of books offering similar sentiments, but I needed the direct experience of just how hard it is to change our attitude before I could integrate that wisdom. What my teacher shared that day was true. The best way to appreciate something is to live inside of its absence for a little while. I had shown up to the retreat feeling threatened by the notion of silence. I'd brought all the bells and whistles of modern life to comfort myself through the difficulty. Then, right off the bat, the silence was jackhammered into oblivion. Suddenly, silence was all I wanted in that meditation hall. I was taught so much by being married to a difficult partner. We weren't sent to each other by accident, just like jackhammers aren't sent by accident to meditation retreat centers. Hard lessons can feel punishing, but they're the ones that expand us and grow us most profoundly. Flowers can't bloom without rain. The disillusion of my marriage led me to begin a relationship with someone who broke my heart on a whole new level and brought me to my knees, reckoning with the darkest, hardest feelings of lovelessness that exist in me. My tagline was, they don't want me. 
I didn't have to confront that one in my divorce because I was the one who left. My healing wouldn't have been as deep and complete without the breakup on the heels of my divorce. It was that breakup, not my divorce, that revealed the toxic, deeply held belief still coiled up like a deadly snake in the basement of my subconscious mind, the belief that said, I am unlovable. The time I took during the morning period of the breakup to dismantle and disprove this particular wound was life-changing for me. That healing work became the gateway for the relationship of self-love and appreciation I have with myself now, a relationship I wouldn't trade for anything in the world. When you have yourself, there's nothing anyone can take away from you. Then you're free to experience partnership in all of the ways your soul may be called to, with no fear or limitations. This is real freedom. This is true love. story will speak to you in whatever circumstance you may find yourself in right now in your life because you know we all have jackhammers we all have those things in our life that are threatening our peace and I believe that the point of our lives is not to avoid the jackhammers. It's not to bargain some kind of deal with the jackhammer to make it magically instantly disappear because that's not really possible most of the time. There isn't a magic bullet. It's like, okay, this is the reality right now. I got to deal with it. But how can I deal with it skillfully? Right? How can I identify the places where I'm still not free, and then find creative, genius, imaginative, self-loving ways to get free with it? How can I relate differently to a difficult circumstance in my life? Is there anything I can do with my mindset to be in a place where this feels a little bit more bearable? And then if it does feel a little bit more bearable, can I leverage that? And can I build some momentum on it so that suddenly these things that, that feel immovable, insurmountable, like suddenly there's some movement here and there's some hope and there's a feeling of, oh, wait a minute. So if I don't require the jackhammer to stop in order for me to have my peace, well, then everything kind of feels like, oh, you know, when your peace does not depend on any external circumstance, when you start to recognize the ways that you can have peace and freedom and a sense of ease and self-love within yourself that is not contingent upon any external factor, that is a very empowering and exciting feeling. And it is available to all of us. It really is. We just, we forget sometimes, you know, the world is set up to make us forget so sometimes I, I think healing is just the act of remembering what's possible for us. Okay, 
I am going to get out of my car now and re-enter the chaos inside my house. And I want to say a special thank you to all of you who have reached out with your condolences about the loss of our family dog. Um, really means so much. We are still recalibrating on the other side of that loss. And as I shared last time, you know, grief is, it's topsy-turvy, it's up and down, good days and bad days. Today was a really good day. And um, knowing that there are other people out there who um, witness your grief and care about you as you're going through it is just, it's very, very meaningful. So thank you and right back at you, whatever difficulty you're going through in your life. Um, I'm sending you a lot of love and support and I will talk to you next time. Thanks for spending the time with me today. And if you heard something that resonated, please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing my podcast so it can reach other ears out there. You can find more of my offerings at marywelch.com or on Instagram at marywelchofficial. I look forward to connecting with you again real soon.